Well, again, I just want to say thanks for joining us today, and uh, thanks for joining us online. My name is Michael. I serve as one of the pastors here at Genesis, and we're sincerely thankful that you're taking time on a Sunday morning uh, to be with us. Uh, Over the past uh, many weeks of Hey Jesus, uh, the series that we're in, we have looked at some really important questions uh, that men and women ask Jesus along the way, questions about love questions about eternity, questions about doubt, questions uh, about neighboring. But today, we're looking at what I will just simply call a life or death question. Uh, I'm not sure if you have ever been asked a question that depending on how you actually answer the question, someone's life hangs in the balance. That's never happened to me. I've been certainly asked some important questions, absolutely, but life or death questions, uh, absolutely not. Uh, But the question that we are looking at today, the question that was posed to Jesus, falls into the category of this is a life or death question depending on how Jesus answers. Uh, If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 8. I want to read just the first few verses in this story. This is John chapter 8 starting at verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd." Now, before we get too far into this story, let's just pause for a moment and consider what's actually happening in this moment. We don't really know much about this woman, not much at all. We don't know if she is a mom. We don't know anything about her family, meaning her parents or her siblings. We don't know anything about her story. We don't know about anything that she has gone through uh, or had to endure in her life. We don't know what she knows or what she actually even believes about God, and we don't know anything about her husband. We're just really given one detail in this story, and it's this. She's a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. And not only has she been caught in the act of adultery, but now she has been brought in front of a rather large crowd who is now been made very aware of what this woman was caught doing. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Caught in the act of adultery, and now she is in front of a rather large crowd. And I say a rather large crowd because anytime Jesus would show up to teach, a large crowd would show up. So it's safe to say for this woman, this is an utterly humiliating moment for her. Now, if you can, imagine for a moment how you would feel if you were caught in the act of doing something that was just deemed shameful. Maybe you were caught looking at something that you shouldn't be looking at. Or maybe you were caught stealing something or caught in the midst of a lie that you had been telling. Or maybe like this story, you were caught with someone else, someone that you should not be with. And then imagine being brought that very private moment that you thought no one knew about was now made very public and a bunch of people knew exactly what you were caught doing. Keep in mind this is a shame-based culture in the first century. 
If you stepped out of line in any way, everyone would know about it, and then everyone would forever remember you as, oh, that's that guy who got caught doing that, or that's that woman who was caught in the act of adultery. So needless to say, I think we can all imagine how humiliating this woman would be feeling right now. But I think humiliation would quickly turn into fear when she heard the question that the religious leaders and the Pharisees are about to ask Jesus. This is the question that Jesus is posed with in John chapter 8, starting at verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? The law says she should die. Jesus, we want to know what do you say we should do? Now, before we look at how Jesus responded to this question, life or death question of should we kill her, let's first understand what's behind the question. Now, I've mentioned this every week over the past many weeks in the series, Hey Jesus, that questions reveal the heart. And it's very clear that the question that is being asked to Jesus reveals the heart of the questioners, meaning their hearts are hard. I mean, there is just something about this phrase caught in the act of adultery. I mean, I just have a hard time believing that these religious leaders just happen to be passing by and just happen to be passing by at the right moment to catch this woman in a very inappropriate moment. This, to me, seems, feels like a little bit of a sting operation. Clearly, this group of religious leaders could care less about this woman and who she is. They're using her in order to trap Jesus, in order to ultimately destroy him. Their question is a trap question. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with a trap question, but it's a question that's used in order to get somebody else in trouble. For example, here is a silly, but an example of a trap question. The girl says, well, who's prettier, me or my sister? And the boy says, well, you, of course. And then the girl says, well, so you think my sister's ugly? And then the boy says, well, no. And then the girl says, so you think she's cute? And then the boy says, I don't know what to say right now. That's a trap question. Silly example, but a trap question. Now, the major difference between my example of a trap question and the trap question the religious leaders are using for Jesus is much graver consequences. If Jesus says, kill her, if Jesus says, stone her, well, then the religious leaders are just going to run to Roman headquarters and say that Jesus is advocating capital punishment, and then Jesus is going to get in trouble with Rome. But if Jesus says, don't stone her, then they're going to say, well, Jesus, you're a heretic because you're completely neglecting Old Testament law. Because Old Testament law, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 22, says this, if a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this way, we, you will purge Israel of such evil. So, these religious leaders clearly didn't care about Old Testament law, and I can say that because this woman was alone. Where is the missing man? They're just bringing just this woman before Jesus. So, their trap question really does reveal their hardest hard towards God and His Word, and clearly towards people. But here's one really, I think, powerful aspect of this story that I don't want us to miss. 
God can redeem any situation. God can redeem absolutely any situation. These religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus in order to get him in trouble either with Rome or in trouble with the people of Israel for being a heretic. And sadly, they're just using this woman in order to accomplish this. But again, not to be missed, God can redeem any situation. Remember, the religious leaders brought this woman to Jesus, which is exactly where this woman needed to be. God redeemed a very ugly moment right here, a moment that these individuals intended for harm. God is using this moment to get this woman positioned where she ultimately needed to be at the feet of Jesus. Now, keep in mind this woman who has been brought to Jesus, she has absolutely no idea what Jesus is going to say, how he is going to answer the question. So I'm guessing the humiliation is now coupled with a lot of fear of, is this going to be my last moment? Am I going to die right now in front of all these people a very painful death by being stoned? So I think the obvious question is, well, what's Jesus going to do? Now, I've also said this every single week. His answers, meaning Jesus' answers, reveal His heart. And how Jesus answers their question reveals not only His heart for this woman, but reveals His heart for all of us as well. His answer is in John chapter 8, starting at verse 6. They were trying, uh, but Jesus stooped down, and He wrote in the dust with His finger. They kept demanding an answer, and so He stood up again and He said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. Now, much has been speculated as to what Jesus wrote in the dust that day. There's a lot of interesting theories about what he was scribbling in the dust that day. But I think there's a reason that John, who is the author of this gospel, specifically doesn't tell us what Jesus wrote on the ground that day, because I think he wants us to focus not on what Jesus was writing on the ground, but what Jesus actually said. And did you catch what Jesus said? Jesus says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. So it might be surprising to you that Jesus actually says, yes, all right, go ahead and stone her, but he gives a very clear condition on his answer. Only non-sinners can throw stones. Only non-sinners can throw stones. Jesus does not forsake God's Word, and He's certainly not usurping Rome's authority. The beauty of how Jesus answered their question is He forced the entire crowd to come to grips to something with something we don't often like to admit, that we are no different than her. We are absolutely no different. Maybe their sins were different than hers. Maybe our sins are different than hers but there is not one of us who is without sin. There is none of us who should ever be throwing stones at anyone. But I think if we just paid attention to our stories and our experience, I'm guessing that all of us have had many stones thrown at us throughout our lifetime. And I think if we're being honest, I'm guessing that we've thrown a lot of stones at people along the way as well. Why are we a people that love throwing stones at other people? And I think the answer to that question is pretty simple. It's much easier to focus on your sin than mine. 
It's so much easier to focus on your sins than it is to actually focus on mine. In fact, focusing on your sins makes me feel a whole lot better about my sins. Because I can always find someone's sins who I think are much worse to make me feel better about mine. I can always find someone else. There's a, I think it's a pretty popular TV show, uh, and the TV show is called Hoarders. You ever heard of the TV show called Hoarders? It's the basic premise of this TV show is it tells the story of, well, hoarders and how they got to be in the situation and the circumstance that they're in. And it tells a story of how their family and friends are trying to help them, rescue them from this lifestyle of hoarding. And I think this show is so popular because it allows us to practice throwing stones while promoting our own self-righteousness. Meaning, here's the stones we throw. We, we watch an example of maybe a guy on the show, and our thoughts are, I can't believe that guy lives like that. What a slob. I can't believe someone would actually do that. Or we look at another, and we're like, that lady lives with 40 cats in her entire apartment is a big litter box. I can't believe that she does that. So we practice throwing our stones from a distance, and we practice our self-righteousness well, at least I'm not like that. At least I'm not as bad. I'm not as messed up as they are. Everyone in the crowd that day, especially the religious leaders, were looking at this woman in the same way that we look at maybe someone on the show, hoarders, or just people in our lives, ready to throw stones and at the same time be impressed by our own perceived self-righteousness. But the way that Jesus answered the question, should we kill her, revealed to the entire crowd that day, as well as all of us, that there is not one person who is without sin in their life. Not one person should ever be caught throwing stones. So the question is, how would the crowd respond to how Jesus actually answered the question? This is the crowd's response starting in verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Do you notice what happened in the crowd's response? They all left. There was not one person who actually stayed. Now, some might read this and be like, gosh, this is great news. This lady's going to live. No one's going to throw any stones at her today. But as I read this part of the story I realize afresh that it takes humility to admit sin. Everyone admitted sin that day, but it takes courage to ask Jesus, well, what do I do now? Everyone in the crowd had the humility to say, okay, I can't throw a stone because I've got sin in my life. But no one in the crowd that day had the courage to stay and say, Jesus, what do I do now? They all left admitting they had sin, and sadly, they failed to realize that the solution to their sin problem was standing right there in front of them. And I love how John shares this very specific detail about the crowd's response. He says, beginning with the oldest. Now, at first glance, we might applaud and be like, hey, well done, older people in the crowd, setting an example of putting your stones down and walking away. But on the other hand, I look at the example that they set, and they failed to set an example of humility coupled with courage. Humility to admit 
that I have sin, which they did, but the courage to show others where to go because of their sin. Now, my question for you would be this, to the older ones that are here, to the older ones that are watching right now, and I'll let you figure out whether you're considered to be an older one or not, but what example are you setting for those that are around you? What example are you setting for those around you? Are there stones that are in your hands right now, or are you helping others see what humility coupled with courage actually looks like? Are you setting the example of helping others see what it looks like to come to Jesus for hope and for healing? And for those that would say, hey, I'm not actually an older one, I'm still in the younger person category, please do not follow any example set before you that does not take you to and keep you with Jesus. Do not follow any example out there that does not take you and keep you with Jesus. I don't care if the person who is older than you is they're well off and they're rich and they're successful and uh, they're admired by many people and they're educated and they're beautiful people. Any example that does not lead you to and keep you with Jesus is not an example worth following. In fact, maybe it's time for you those who are deeming yourselves younger ones, to be setting the example in the church, but also in culture, of what humility coupled with courage looks like. So whether you're older or you're younger, what example are you currently setting for people right now? Is it humility coupled with courage? The one who had been humbled that day, the one who was caught in the act of adultery, she actually had the courage to go nowhere and stay with Jesus. When everyone in the crowd left, what a moment this must have been for her, just her sitting with Jesus. I'm guessing this woman was very familiar with things like guilt and shame and pain and hiding and neglect and brokenness and humiliation. But what happens in this next moment between Jesus and this nameless woman is such a powerful picture of redemption, such a powerful picture of grace, such a powerful picture of mercy and love. This is the moment that Jesus had with this woman, starting at verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again, and He said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Three incredibly powerful words that this woman heard from Jesus. Neither do I. The only one on the entire planet who could have actually thrown a stone because he was without sin was Jesus. And instead of stones, he uttered three powerful, life-saving words, neither do I. If Jesus could have thrown a stone, why didn't He? He could have. He was without sin. Why didn't He condemn her? See, what this woman did not know at the time was that Jesus would stand condemned for her on the cross. In other words, Jesus took the stones for her. Jesus took the stones for each of us. God doesn't dismiss our sin as if it's not a big deal. Jesus didn't dismiss her sin as if it wasn't a big deal. Sin 
separates us from God, both now and eternally, but because God desires relationship with her, God desires relationship with all of us, He sent His perfect and sinless Son to stand condemned in the place of sinners on the cross. And not to be missed, what on earth did this woman, who had just been caught in the act of adultery, do in order to hear those words, neither do I? What had she done to deserve such a statement of, I don't condemn you either? The answer is pretty simple. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This, to me, is the beauty of Christianity. It's not what I do. It's what Christ has done that makes us right with God. Paul, uh, who wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament, said this in a letter to the churches in Rome. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What this woman needed to hear is, I don't condemn you. What Scripture tells us, if you know Christ, if you trust Christ, if you're with Christ, there is no condemnation. You are free forever from condemnation. So things like guilt and shame and hiding are no longer your reality if you know Jesus, if you trust Jesus. The way I wrote it in my journal was this, Jesus stood in our place so we could stand with God forever. He stood in my place. He stood in your place. He stood in our place so that you and I could stand with God, be with God now and throughout eternity. But we cannot forget is that neither do I was not the final words that this woman heard from Jesus. The final thing that this final statement that this woman heard from Jesus was this, go and sin no more. These were the last words she hears from Jesus. And you might read it and be like, well, that's kind of a bummer. Such a downer to end on such a beautiful moment. Why couldn't Jesus just say, hey, neither do I, peace out. Like, that just seems like a great ending. Why bring her back to her sin? Why give her this command of, Go and sin no more. Well, Jesus does not condemn us, but Jesus does not condone our sin either. We don't stand condemned, but Jesus does not condone our sin either. It's not like Jesus says to to her or to any one of us, hey, I love you, I forgive you, I don't condemn you, but seriously, go ahead and live your life however you want. Whatever you want to do, just go for it. Jesus doesn't condemn us, but He does not condone our sin. So when Jesus says, go and sin no more, He wants us to see a very simple but powerful truth. Sin is a choice we make. Sin is a choice that we make. And every time we choose sin, we are believing that sin is more appealing in that moment than our Savior. When Jesus says to this woman, when Jesus says ultimately to all of us, go and sin no more, well, gosh, He makes it sound so simple. Just stop sinning. How does one just stop sinning in their life? And I don't want to oversimplify this for any one of us, but I do think the answer actually is pretty simple. How does one stop sinning in their life? Cherish Christ. Begin cherishing Christ in your life. When Jesus told this woman, us as well, go and sin no more, He's not calling for her or us to have some behavior modification in our life. What Jesus is saying is this, cherish me, keep your eyes fixed on me, 
and sin and all the empty promises that sin gives us will begin to pale in comparison. If we want to stop the patterns, whether they're habitual or cyclical in our lives of sin, you've got to start asking yourself the question, am I cherishing Christ? What has been most helpful for me in learning how to cherish Christ in my journey with Christ, uh, rather than focusing on like just trying to modify certain behaviors or patterns in my life, but what's actually helped me cherish Christ in my life are three specific things. Be in His Word every single day. Be in prayer every single day. And surround myself with a bunch of people who love Jesus like crazy. Those are three things that have been incredibly helpful to me in my walk with God is be with Jesus in His Word every single day. Be with Jesus in prayer every single day. And then surround myself with as many people as I possibly can that love Jesus more than life itself. Because I've noticed, conversely, when I'm not in the Word, when I'm avoiding prayer, and when I'm kind of doing the isolation thing, or at least playing surfacy relationships with people, I find myself absolutely stuck in sin management. I find myself stuck in just trying to modify behaviors in my life rather than actually living free from sin. This morning, before we enter back into a time of worship through song, I want to give us just five minutes. So whether you're here in the space or whether you are watching online by yourself or with family or friends, I want you to take five minutes to just reflect on these two questions. Is there someone or something that you are cherishing more than Jesus today? Is there someone, a person, a relationship, or is there something in your life right now that you are cherishing more than Christ? And the second question I'd ask you to reflect on is this. Do you have any stones in your hand? Are there any stones in your hand because you're impressed with your self-righteousness that you've picked up some stones and they're aimed at maybe a person or a people group? Are there any stones in your hand? And as you reflect on that, if there's anything that you would say, gosh, I am cherishing this person, this idea, this dream, this hope, this relationship more than Christ, then in this time of reflection, simply choose to say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm sorry for cherishing this. Will you forgive me and hear the words of Christ over your life? I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. And if there are stones in your hands that in this moment say, Jesus, I'm dropping these stones before you. So God, in these uh, moments of reflection, would you be generous and gracious to each of us to allow us to hear from you? If there's something we're cherishing more than you or if there's stones that we're carrying in our hands, God, let this be a beautiful and a powerful and a sacred moment where we encounter you, where we repent, where we need to, that we might respond to you correctly and appropriately. Pray that, Jesus, in your name.